Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today's guest is the comic Nish Kumar. He hosts the news-based topical comedy show, Hello America. The show is made in Britain for an American audience and is available on Quibi. We talk in depth about Hello America, and Nish reveals just how much the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, and the global protests against police brutality have changed the show. He also explains why, as a comedian, it's worse to have bread thrown at you than to be booed off stage. I should note that we recorded this interview in mid-July. All right, so uh, we have a lot to talk about, but I wanted to start with um, the pandemic. <laughs> Light little topic here. Um, no, I, feel, I feel like it is standard these days that we have to talk about it because everyone's dealing with it in some way. But how are you handling it? How's your family handling it? We're doing okay. I mean, I to be honest, I have worked through the entire pandemic, so I feel like I can't really complain about anything. Well, I imagine one of the things you're, you're working on is this uh, Quibi show called Hello America. Or if you could start telling us a little bit about the show, what's it about, uh, what, what we, can we expect? So the premise of the show is that it's a, a kind of, it's a news-based topical comedy show uh, that's made in Britain uh, by British people with the help of uh, several Americans. Um, and it's a British sort of comment on American news and it's the purpose of it really is to sort of emphasize the things that we have in common uh, in the special relationship that exists with our between our two countries um and uh, you know because in the last sort of four or five years uh, listen we've both taken a dive at a pretty <laughs> <laughs> I just want to note that I just want to note that you went there uh, two minutes into the interview, and we were going to get there, but you went there right away. <laughs> it's just it's just so difficult to talk about it without without immediately getting into the the relative difficulties, the, the latest bout of relative difficulties that we've faced uh, have definitely been sort of you know it's felt like we've been joined at the hip for the last five years, um, and. Uh, so it, um, part of the joy of doing something like this is to sort of celebrate the things that we've had in common in the last uh, the last five years and just to sort of reassure each other that we've our nations have not gone mad in isolation. Well, and that I think that's interesting because in preparing for you, it was uh, interesting reading lots of articles because there are several articles about this, uh, the infamous charity cricket event where you made a political <laughs> joke. And you were subsequently booed and had bread thrown at you. And my question is, what is worse, having bread thrown at you or the booze? Uh, definitely the bread, because the it was a waste of food. <laughs> um, and, you know, especially in, in these slightly um, difficult economic circumstances, uh, it felt particularly decadent to lob something that could have fed somebody who was hungry at a comedian whose joke you didn't like. Yeah, I mean, I guess the background of this for people listening is that I was doing a, a charity gig uh, and it was a sort of it was a sort of fundraiser thing. So the audience was very much like pretty well to do, not what you would call your classic comedy crowd. Um, and I made some comments about uh, the Brexit process and my perceptions of uh, some of the 
uh, weaknesses in the execution of Brexit, dressing it up way more than it could possibly be. But yeah, it was, yeah, it, it was, the audience didn't take particularly kindly to it. And someone threw a bread roll at me. And what was sort of fascinating about the entire thing was that it sort of, it became a news story in the UK um, in a way that I still can't fully explain to you. So yeah, I mean, I am a contentious figure in my home country. I think it's probably the politest way of putting it. Or, or, or a uh, contentious with carbohydrates uh, figure in your hometown, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, well, the thing, like, I'm, I'm trying to get on the keto diet. So in, 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 <laughs> it just showed your resilience toward like, no, I'm not going to even eat that one. Hit me in the head. Well, yeah, is, no is that the worst reaction you've had telling like a political joke? Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely up there. Um, I, you know, there's been a couple of gigs since 2016 that have sort of gone south because people have uh, taken a specific objection. One man unplugged my microphone. <laughs> and that, that in a way is worse because it's not even, throwing something is a sort of impulse and a expression of a moment of frustration. Whereas that one, you had to like really have some like technical knowledge <laughs> to know he sought out the like tech box at the back of the room in the comedy club and managed to find the corresponding wire that unplugged my microphone. Well, I think also maybe the comic club has to have some responsibility because I'm sure people, political or not, are going to want to unplug a comedian's mic sometimes. But they must protect that box. I, you've got you've got to keep an eye on uh, on the tag box. But going back to the kind of this theme here, obviously I mean, we're using I'm using the word political jokes, but it's it's uh, a lot of it is uh, you're getting ready to have a show that's that's about the American political system, which you know we have a great sense of humor about our politics. We get along really well here being very facetious but why <laughs> i guess the two questions is why would you want to do a show about american politics especially now in uh, an election year and then the second is um why do you think people have such a strong reaction against pol pol political jokes one of the reasons we wanted to do the show is we feel like there's some like comedic value to be had in we, what we didn't want to do was do a show that was sort of aimed at America and a being a bunch of British people just talking about how stupid America is. You know, there was a window where that was pretty much the only commentary from British comedians about America in Britain, uh, you know, in the sort of sort of W. Bush era. But um, we wanted to do a show that kind of reach out internationally and show America that yours is not the only country that is in the process of self-destructing. So that was the sort of driving force behind the thing. It's a comedy that sort of is like trying to be inclusive rather than laughing at you for your weird political system. I mean, there will always be things that uh, that diverge in our country's political systems that are advantageous and disadvantageous. Like, I will never understand the point of a politically appointed judiciary. Um, but on the other hand, we literally have a queen. So... Yeah, it is. It is so funny that you pick those two in particular. But um, I wanted also with this past summer, uh, spring and summer, I mean, again, the pandemic, but also at least here in the U.S. with Black Lives Matter protest. Yeah. Um, how is this influencing like the topics of your show? There's no way of shying away from those topics. I mean, what's incredible about what Black Lives Matter has managed to achieve is that it's started a conversation in the United Kingdom that we have needed to have for a long time in uh, in our sort of conversations around race 
in that it's actually sort of sparked a conversation about British history. So the kind of statues debate that you're having is something that's absolutely happening here as well. And uh, in Bristol, a group of uh, Black Lives Matter protesters dumped a statue of Edward Colston in a river. And Edward Colston was a kind of was a slave owner. Um, and, you know, it was an appalling guy. You know, I don't know that there can be different degrees of slave owner. Like, it's pretty binary. They're all people. But Colston was, you know, even as it was a really reprehensible figure. And um, Bristol, which is a city in the um, southwest of the UK, has a lot of like buildings named after him. And there's this statue of him. And it, it's a really interesting flashpoint because Britain is for, for the first time in my lifetime starting on a national level to reckon with its own history. Because I don't think you guys understand the extent to which we take no responsibility for anything that we did around the world. Oh, what what the Americans, the, the Australians did to the uh, indigenous populations in both countries. They're like, that was us. We were the, <laughs> that was, we did all that stuff. Yeah, you, know, like, you guys were the, the startup that made it all happen. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we're the OG colonizers. You know, it's like, it, it's Wakanda shut its doors because of British people. You know, like Hamilton is playing in the West End in London, like a, you know, like the Sixth Sense. Like people are like, Jesus. It's a real twist. Britain's the bad guy. <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh, from all the time that I was growing up, people were like, why are all Hollywood movies featuring British bad guys? And you're like, we are the bad guys everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> but then you guys get to play the bad guys in American movies. So it kind of averages out in that sense. But also, I wonder, like, I mean, we talk about statues, which is important. Uh, building names are important. But... Also, there's like that the systematic aspect to all of this, which predates both, uh, you know, America, uh, the colony, all that stuff. And I'm wondering, um, are you is your is your show able? You just taking on contemporary stuff? Are you digging deeper and stuff like that? Well, we do two episodes a week. So the the premise of the two episodes is that the one that comes out on Friday is very much like a reaction to the week's news and. Then uh, on the Mondays, the premise is it's maybe taking a look at something interesting that maybe is in the kind of Hmm. cultural zeitgeist, but isn't necessarily like there isn't a corresponding headline. And it's me talking to Desiree Birch, who's a brilliant American comedian who's been based in London for the last three or four years, talking about the difficulties of the Joe Biden candidacy. You know, she's uh, an American woman who is being asked by the Democratic Party to vote for a guy who she, you know, who lots of people, who they, you know, there's a, a credible allegation of sexual assault a, around Joe Biden. And yet she's in this position where she is going to vote for him and is happy to vote for him, but only to defeat um, or, um, an even worse predator. And so it's about, and, and so it's a piece basically about how she feels about what she's being asked to do in the upcoming election and how she is going to do it. But at the very least, she should be able to say that she's not happy about it. Um, And so it's that, you know, there's nothing particularly specific about the week's news, but obviously the election is the kind of elephant in every room about American political conversation and will be until it happens in November. I mean, a lot of things are going on right now. Our current president is uh, definitely interesting the way he's handled our response to the pandemic. But a lot of it is, I think people think uh, or see through some of it as he's just positioning himself for the election. And 
<laughs> I guess it it doesn't seem like it's front on people's minds here right now because yeah. we can't even go outside without wearing a face mask or arguing with someone who doesn't have a face mask on. So yeah, sure, how yeah. how does all that feed into your show? You know, it's we, we, this show has been sort of in the works for about a year. And so there've been lots of conversations. And so we had basically geared ourselves up to be a show. You know, we 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 commissioned to run for uh, three months. So we'd basically commissioned, we, we'd basically thought of this show as being the run up to the US election. You know, what else could possibly happen? And anyway, now the air is full of poison. It obviously now feels like a completely different, it's a completely different tone to the show. And the pandemic is front and center of everybody's mind. And so the, the first episode was very much like introducing the concept of the show. And the one we did on Friday was the first sort of normal episode of the show. And, you know, obviously it was all about Trump's response to the pandemic and comparing it directly with Bolsonaro in Brazil and our own, our glorious leader, Boris Johnson, and how there are some sort of common threads between the three of them, not least in the case of Bolsonaro and Johnson, the fact that they actually have both got it. Um, and so it's yeah. the pandemic is going to loom. It, it's definitely changed everyone's framework for what we thought the show was going to be. And I mean, in in one sense, they they seem very separate right now. Uh, at least, I, at least to me as an American. And I think, yeah, I wonder when it's going to be. We're talking more election stuff versus pandemic stuff. Well, it's what Trump has been desperately trying to do for the entire time. He's constantly been trying to turn the focus back to back to re-election. You know including to start to hold rallies in Tulsa. And I mean, that seems absolutely bizarre. Um, and we, one of the things that we're going through, we're having the same conversation is around wearing masks. And, you know, all the medical guidance suggests that, you know, there's a huge uh, improvement in the transition, in the transmission of COVID if everybody wears masks, particularly in indoor public spaces. And both of our country's leaders just seem to be resolutely refusing to pass any legislation on it. And and actually both of them for the first time have been pictured over the weekend wearing masks. And you kind of think, why are you both waiting until the last possible minute? I mean, in a sense, it's harder to work out why our prime minister is doing it because he's not even running for re-election. He already won. So it's it, it, it is... It is hard to talk about anything other than the pandemic, but it is interesting to view Trump's pandemic response through the prism of the election and see where his priorities have been in the last few months. And his reluctance, you've got to figure that his reluctance to shut down the economy was in large part based on the fact that he'd basically been planning his entire re-election campaign to be hinged around America's economic strength. One of the unique features of Quibi is the fact that the videos are uh, kind of bite-sized videos. So I'm wondering, how does that framework influence what you're writing for the show? It means that you have to think very carefully about the, the inception stage of every script. You have to think very carefully about what points you're trying to get across and how you're going to get them across within the time that's allowed. And it definitely sort of, it forces you to be creative and it forces you to, because you're trying to deal with quite complicated ideas, but it definitely forces you to be very direct in the way that you explain things. And like, it's it's a really interesting thing because one of the things that I think 
comedy often benefits from is like stringent editing. And so Mm -hmm. it has been a fun process to kind of write a script that should be about 11 to 12 minutes and then try and get it down into the shorter form without losing the essence of the complexity of what you're trying to say, but also without losing the jokes. So it's a kind of exciting and interesting challenge for us. I guess another thing I asked about it too is with Quibi, it's known for it's, I could be watching it on my phone, holding my phone, we call it, I guess, vertical video where the phone is upright, but I can then twist it in the landscape and there's actually, I won't see like black bars on either side. Um, I've talked to some other people who've made Quibi shows and I'm just curious, what's it like filming the actual episodes? Are there special cameras your guys are using or how does that work for you? There's lots of stuff that was done in the preparation of that, but that that work is done before I sit down because once I start filming on a Friday, we film on a Friday morning UK time and the episode has to be uploaded to the app by uh, the morning of the East Coast. So I start work, we start filming at six in the morning UK time and then uh, it's available the same morning in the, the US by the miracle of time zones um and so a lot of the like technical stuff is done before i'm even sat down in the chair by people who are much cleverer than me if i'm being honest it's taken care of by uh, smarter people than me well and that, did I, I read somewhere i don't know if this is true that hello america was initially going to be filmed in front of an audience but obviously with the pandemic stuff that's changed is that true well, so when we first talked about it, the idea was that it would be filmed in front of an audience because that's just what you do with these shows. You know, we've all grown up with the vocabulary of the kind of American late night model. One of the things that Quibi was very keen that we do, and we were excited by the idea, was for this thing to come out in the morning and for it to make use of the fact that we have this time difference, the fact that we're coming from the future. (laughs) (laughs) Always planned to be this kind of, this morning show. We were thinking about the show without a studio audience. So regardless of the pandemic, we were sort of thinking we're probably going to end up doing this in an empty studio anyway. The kind of people that are going to turn up for a a 7am filming may well have not been home the previous evening. You know, we, we, we've got a grand tradition of all-nighters in this country. It, drinking is really our national art form, you know. It's, it's, <laughs> every drinking is our jazz, right? It's the, it's the British <laughs> art form. Jazz. And so what we're likely to end up with is a situation where at 6am, we are dealing with some people who have still not finished their night out from 9pm the previous evening. And that's not ideal for a comedy audience, you know? Vomiting is funny, but within limits. Within limits, yes. Within limits. The name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. And I'm wondering, what are you currently so obsessed with? Well, one of the things that I'm super obsessed with is uh, this show, uh, I May Destroy You, um, which is airing in Britain on the BBC, but it's going to be airing in the States on HBO. Um, And it's, I mean, it's uh, it's sort of almost hard to describe. It's, It's a drama about the aftermath of sexual assault and deals with issues around consent, 
but also around race. And it's it's one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen on TV. It, 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 the whole thing is the kind of, is the work of Michaela Cole, who's written it and stars in it. And I think uh, co-directed it as well. And so it's very much the kind of altered vision um, from a singular voice. And it's just the most, every time you think you've pinned down a character's motivation, it just turns itself back on you. And it, it is about tough subject matter, no doubt. It, and it, it's unflinching in its portrayal of all of the kind of difficult subjects that it confronts. But it, and it's somehow within that also incredibly compelling and at points even extremely funny. It, it's just the most extraordinary thing. I, 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 don't, I, I don't even know what to compare it to. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Um, and it's, uh, it's 12 half hours of television that I can only recommend in the strongest terms possible. Uh, it sounds amazing. And yeah, I think it is coming out to HBO. Um, mm. I'm not sure. When, we're not promoting that show, but yes, it's will be on HBO at some point. Um, I, I also got to ask, because you've actually done a lot of other shows besides Hello America. You're also on the satirical show, The MASH Report. And I'm wondering, this might not be a big deal question to you, but I think for a lot of the audience, how do you approach satirical comedy differently than approaching like political comedy like in Hello America? Like one of the things that we really wanted to do with Hello America was to borrow from the vocabulary of morning news shows. So you know, we spent a lot of time like looking at the sets of like Morning Joe and, you know, Regis and Kelly and like what, what are they doing uh, differently to an evening news show? What are those kind of morning news slash magazine shows looking like? Um, and so there's like a lot of conversations that have to happen before you start about what you want the sort of vibe of the thing to be. I feel so much better and feel so much more confident in knowing what we're doing in terms of the actual material now that we've done three of them. It's it's a weird thing where it's like there's so much prep that you have to do and also there's about 50% of it you discover as you're doing it. It's what makes it extremely exciting, but it's also what's turning my beard hair grey. You've done a lot of stand-up comedy. In fact, a lot of people might know you from your ne- the, the Netflix show, you, especially you did, uh, was it like two years ago, uh, Comedians yeah. of the World? Yeah, um, yeah, it's, yeah, two years ago maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm wondering, um, do you remember the first joke that you told that got a reaction from an audience? The first time I remember putting a routine together, where this is kind, it's kind of a horrible story to explain out of context, but when I was at university, a guy racially abused me from his car. Oh my God. Um, and, and so it was like, it was the, the idea of the routine was like, this is drive by racism. Like he's not even taking the time. <laughs> but also his car was, he had this terrible old car. And, and so he didn't have an automatic window. So he had to manually wind down the window <laughs> and shout the thing at me and then wind it back up and drive off. And so, I thought there was something like really funny about like someone not even taking the time to stop, but also having this like terrible kind. You're like, if you want to start doing drive-bys, you've got to have like an automated window. Um, but yeah, that was like the first time I remember. Like I, was, like, I put together like a story that was funny 
um, that sort of that sort of semi worked. Well, say us Americans, we love uh, we love superhero stuff. We love origin stories, and that sounds like a really interesting, almost comedy origin story for you. <laughs> We're getting to the end here, and I want to do a thing called pick one. And I give you a couple different things, and you just choose one. It doesn't mean it's the best one. It can be. You can also talk it out, but I'd like to play pick one with you. Is that okay? Go for it. Yeah, of course. So the first one is stand-up comedy or hosting a show. Oh, I feel like I'm about to get in trouble. I, I, I tell you what, it's at the moment I have, I would say stand-up comedy because I have a real nostalgia for doing stand-up comedy. And because I'm not doing it at the moment, because like... I started doing stand-up when I was 21 and I'm now 34. So like, it, it's like the, the my whole adult life has really been defined by doing comedy in stinking back rooms and like weird bunkers. And, and so for the first time in my life, I haven't been able to do it. Cause even when I'm hosting stuff here, I'm still like doing stand-up at the weekends and, you know, there's always some gig going on or another, but because of the pandemic, this sort of enforced break of it, I think I've like forgotten all the bad things about stand-up comedy, like the fact that you're just traveling constantly and you're out really late and everything, just every room you go into just smells of old sick. I haven't been able to do it. I've romanticized it. Or, and I, this is a, quite a common thing with lots of the comics I'm friends with. We've all like romanticized stand-up comedy out of proportion. So I would probably say stand-up comedy at the moment, but because I'm physically, I'm legally not allowed to do it. Okay, next one, UK audience or US audience? Oh, that is tricky. I guess I only really just started doing stuff in the States. So last time when I toured the UK, at the end of the tour, I uh, went to New York and LA and did some gigs. And it does feel a bit cliche to say this, but there is definitely a sense of, the US audience is definitely there to go, hey, we'll probably have a good time. And I will be proved wrong from that assertion if I don't enjoy this. Whereas there is more of a sense in the UK of going, this is probably going to be terrible. But we're... <laughs> so in, in a sense, I'll say the UK because I respect that perspective. <laughs> I would say, whereas I think I, as a US thing, I'm like, yeah, let's go have some laughs, have some drinks, yeah. you know. Let's not throw bread because you don't like throwing bread. Yeah, in the US, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Um, all right. Next one. Boris Johnson or Donald Trump? Oh, my God. That is <laughs> Sophie's choice of international geopolitics. Only it's what a Sophie's choice where she hates both of her kids. And <laughs> get rid of them. That is. I, 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 OK, I'll pick Trump because there is. A constant, and I'm not saying it's going to happen. And I think the worst thing that America could do is get complacent about the election. But there is a democratic mechanism to remove him within the year. Now, whether he leaves is a different question. But with uh, Johnson, there is almost we are stuck with this dude for four years, uh, minimum. So I'll say Trump on the basis that he might be gone in November. And I'm going to follow this up with Twitter Donald Trump or MAGA rally Donald Trump? I mean, definitely Twitter Donald Trump, because I think when the when the stuff is written down, it's it seems more inherently ridiculous. You know, when he describes things as being very legal and very cool, you sort of there's a kind of inherent ridiculous to it. But there's something extremely sinister about him saying those things and then just hearing the like cheers of a let's face it 
two thirds empty arena. <laughs> All right, I got two more here. One is a vertical video on your phone or landscape video on your phone. I, I'm a landscape video. Yeah, I'll make the effort. I I watch when we watch the show. We watch both of the edits because they, you know, it does visually represent itself in a different way, and it's. It's pretty, it's cool. It's cool when you can like flip your phone and it has a, almost a different perspective. I mean, again, I say this to someone who doesn't have to manage the technical challenge of executing that beyond just standing on a certain spot. But um, I, 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 I would always go, I, I've, I've watched everything in Quibi on, on Horizontal. Yeah, it's interesting because again, I've gotten to see a few shows on, on Quibi and it's just amazing how it does work and it yeah. shouldn't work. It shouldn't make, it shouldn't work like the way it does. And your mind is kind of like, oh, and once you accept it, it's a really neat way of doing it. And um, I'm sure there's lots of uh, money being invested protecting that technology as well. Yeah. Um, okay, the last one, we're going to end on a uh, not an up note, but just kind of curious to see the UK pandemic response or the US pandemic response. I will say the US pandemic response. And the reason I will say that is your state's rights and your federal system, which I normally find bizarre and ridiculous, my experience of people talking about states' rights is normally because they want to call a sports team something offensive, and somehow that's connected. <laughs> I, so I, I normally am very cynical about states' rights, but what I will say is the fact that go- individual governors have been able to essentially defy the, the federal, or not defy because there's nothing to defy, but have essentially been able to do stuff without when, when the federal government has just abdicated responsibility for its pandemic response. I will say has left some parts of the US in a better position. Whereas in the UK, we are all up the. <laughs> um, you know, there's no way for like, you know, like the mayor of London can't make it mandatory in London for all shops to have people wearing face masks. And he needs to go to central government for that. And so because we have two, you know, let's face it absolute duds in charge your federalized system i think allows there to be at least pockets where everybody is not trying to contract covid <laughs> so that and i take i'm going to take that as optimism <laughs> yeah, I, that, that, the closest thing that i can find to saying something hopeful about both of our countries is that some parts of your country are legally able to defy the will of the central government <laughs> I want to thank Niche for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. Hello America is streaming on Quibi with new episodes released every Monday and Friday. If you enjoyed this interview, take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And until next week, take care.